Well, I apologize in advance for my, my husky voice this morning, so battling a, a cold a little bit this week, but um, we're going to continue our study in First Thessalonians this morning, but I, I need to lay a little bit of uh, foundation, a little groundwork for our conversation this morning, so you'll have to trust me that at some point I'll tie this back into something. So um, in the discipleship group that I'm a part of, we've been examining Jesus's ministry and specifically how he balanced invitation and challenge. Um, and so we've been kind of looking at those uh, two things. Go ahead and show that slide. So um, if you think of those as kind of uh, two extremes, uh, obviously Jesus was, was perfectly balanced in this area because he's perfect. Um, and throughout the Gospels, you hear Jesus saying on some occasions things like, uh, come and see, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Let the little children come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. Invitation. And then on the other hand, you see uh, Jesus saying some things that are a little alarming at times, like some things we've looked at recently. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. He also said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And there's a lot more where that came from too, right? Challenge, okay? But while Jesus was perfect and and therefore displayed a perfect balance between the two, most of us in the way that we operate or do ministry or relationships, we tend to lean more one way or the other, just kind of by nature, okay? Which which way do you guess that I tend to lean? (laughs) Some people are like, yeah, Pretty severely, right? Okay? And, um, I, and, and part of that is, you know, obviously it's my personality. I'm kind of an all-in type person. Other people would call that demanding. Okay? <laughs> and um, I, uh, you know, if I really believe in something, um, I'm fully invested, and I think everybody else should be invested at the level that I am about the things that I care about, right? Not necessarily what other people care about, right? So that, that can come across as rough sometimes. So, but I'm naturally wired to be a challenger. But that doesn't mean that I'm destined to stay that way. And it doesn't even mean that it's okay that I allow myself to stay, you know, that far right on that spectrum as we had it up there. If my purpose as a Christian is to imitate Jesus, who was perfectly balanced in these two things, then I must allow the Holy Spirit, to begin pulling me and shaping me uh, in, in the other direction. And for you, you might be on the other end of the spectrum. My wife is kind of the exact opposite of me. She's all invitation and very little challenge. That's just how she's wired. So, but if we're going to imitate Christ who balances perfectly, we have to grow in our ability to have a balanced approach. And, and, and that's something that I've struggled with a lot. And when I'm tired and stressed like I've been this past couple of weeks, that challenger part of me really kind of ramps up, and, um, and I, can, I can be, you know, pretty demanding, and uh, I noticed it as I walked to my car last Sunday after church, and in my spirit, I just had this sense of like, man, you got to calm down a little bit, <laughs> um, 
I mean, it's okay, and you guys have known, and you've heard me speak, many of you, hundreds of times, you know that I am pretty challenging, and it's important to challenge people to, to look at the Scripture seriously and really ask some tough questions um, about their life and, and really try to, to be obedient um, to the Word. But, you know, after a while, sometimes it, for some people, it can be just kind of a constant banging of the drum that after a while you just, just kind of falls on deaf ears if you don't have some balance, you know? The challengers are out there like, yeah, bring more. You know, other people are like, okay, we get it, you know. So I have to be careful of that. And that's why it's really good timing uh, today that we've arrived at the passage that we're going to look at um, in chapter 2 of First Thessalonians because Paul had undergone a pretty profound transformation himself in terms of how he viewed ministry, how he went about connecting with people. And, and we see it in the way that he describes his ministry to the church in Thessalonica. But before we get to chapter 2, uh, I want you to turn to the book of Acts. And we're going to take a look at the first time that Paul is mentioned in Scripture. So I want you to look at Acts chapter 8. It's page 764. So at this point in the story in Acts, uh, you know, the young church, this is post-resurrection and ascension. Jesus is in heaven now, and he's left his disciples back here in his church to, to spread the mission, and thousands of Jews are, are coming to Christ. Um, Paul at this time, his name was Saul originally. Um, he was a Pharisee, which means that he was a, a Jewish kind of religious leader who was very strict in his obedience to the, to the Old Testament law, and um, so he was very... Uh, very concerned, very angry about the message that Jesus preached, and this message is getting spread, so he was persecuting the church. And so in chapter 7, you see the kind of the heading there is the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was the first Christian martyr, the first guy killed for his faith, for, for speaking about Jesus. He gets killed. And then you see chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of their killing him. So Paul is kind of standing there watching this Christian get stoned to death and kind of nodding his head like, yep. The guy's getting what he deserves, okay? So now uh, turn to chapter 9, and it says, verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So what do you think for Paul? Invitation or challenge? What do you think? <laughs> challenge, right? I mean, this guy was really intense. But then Jesus got a hold of his heart. And things begin to change. And if you haven't read about Saul's conversion before, on another time, Acts chapter 9 kind of lays that out for you. You can go home and, and read that story on your own. But the man we see described in First Thessalonians today that we're going to look at is a guy who's had a radical heart transplant and has really begun to learn how to balance invitation and challenge in his life. And so go ahead and flip over to First Thessalonians now to your right, page 824. So the last couple of weeks, <clears throat> we've established that Paul and his traveling companions, Silas and Timothy, um, have planted a church in Thessalonica and uh, really didn't get to stay there very long because the Jews ran them out of town, okay? So Paul is concerned about how the church is doing. He sends Timothy back uh, because he was Greek and uh, they were in Greece at the time, so he could travel around a little more slyly and uh, without as much suspicion. He goes back, checks it out, comes back, 
to Paul and says, hey, man, things are going well. Uh, the church there is thriving. The people's faith, remember it said, rings out and is really encouraging to everybody else. But he said, and we looked at this last week, the only problem is, is that in your absence, they're really attacking your character. They're really trying to discredit you as, as a minister of the gospel and then thusly your message. And so Paul, we looked at those first few verses of chapter two last week, he, he, he kind of defends his ministry. And he says, guys, listen, I've been gone for a while, but remember, you know, remember how I acted when I was in your presence. I didn't come like these other guys trying to get rich off the gospel or whatever message they're, they're sending out of, of, of their gods. Uh, I didn't, you know, give you flattering words. I, I came humble. I served you. You know, all these reminders that we looked at from last week. And we spent a considerable amount of time on verse 8, and I purposely skipped verse 7, so I want to begin there today. So we're going to look at the second part of verse 7. It says this, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of Christ, but our lives as well. Nursing mothers. What in the world is Paul talking about? <laughs> this, come, this, this is coming out of the mouth of a guy, remember it said, that was breathing murderous threats against the church. And now he's describing his love for the Thessalonians as like a nursing mother would to their child. So talking about some big changes here, okay? I mean, you can't really think of a more intimate and tender image than that. And I don't know if you've had the privilege of being in a room. <laughs> some of you women obviously have. You've been there. But husbands, to see that too, when that, especially when your first child is born and, and that moment that that child is born and then, and then the first time that your, your child you know, is breastfeeding from your wife, is, it's an incredibly powerful picture and tender, just amazingly intimate uh, image, because the, really the child has really got nothing to offer the mother, right? And the mother's exhausted, but it's, it's completely a selfless act. You know, the mother wants to benefit this child um, and serve this child. And so that's Paul's heart for this young church. He says, I, I want to, to feed you with the spiritual milk of Christ in, in an intimate and gentle and selfless manner. And that's how he described his ministry to them. He says, we nurtured you, we cared for you because we loved you. And he said, we were delighted to do it, right? You guys weren't a burden to us at all. We didn't do this begrudgingly. We, we did it with joy. And Paul uses all of this familial language. He, he describes himself as a mother caring for her children. Then in verse 9, he says, calls them brothers and sisters. Later in verse 11, he says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Mother, father, brother, sister. And Paul is, is taking hold of these, these teachings that Jesus had and taking them to heart. Remember when Jesus' um, mother and brothers come to visit Jesus in the Gospels? It's in Matthew um, chapter 12. It says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Isn't <laughs> funny how redundant that is? Anyways, he replied to him, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so... In light of that definition, you know, we have to ask ourselves, how, how, uh, 
how have we embraced this call to love one another like family? This is how Paul viewed his ministry and his leadership. He, he, he viewed himself as a parent, a spiritual father and mother uh, to uh, these children, the, these young people in their faith. And I think it's really important um, that we remember, you can go ahead and take that down, Todd, that we remember that First Thessalonians is the first letter that Paul wrote to a church that he had planted in, in, in AD 51. And so a lot of things that he says here in this letter are him kind of laying the groundwork for, guys, this is what Christian community should look like. And he's saying that, that, that you should love one another and treat one another like family. And, and this is what family does for each other. And so if you're a person that, you know, a lot of people kind of try to do Christianity by watching, you know, TV and, you know, preachers and kind of in the isolation of their own home which is unhealthy. And then there's people that even come to church, though, and they come, but they don't really know anybody. They don't really go out of their way to to love anybody else or let other people love them. So they're in community. They're in a crowd, but they're not family to one another. And I just don't know, uh, you know, that we can call ourselves followers and imitators of Christ if we're not living and loving the way that he loved and doing the things and treating one another the way that he treated. And he said, guys, these guys are your family. And so to come and to just kind of sit here and not get to know anybody week after week and not share anything that's going on in your life and not be concerned about what happens to the others, that's that's really not following Jesus, guys. That's coming to church. But that's about it. That's being concerned with kind of your own you know, absorption of good information to kind of help you live a strong life or whatever, but it's not doing life with others. It's not family. Here I go again over on the challenge side. (laughs) But he loved them as he would love his own children, and he embraced that role as a spiritual father and mother. He took on that responsibility, and, and he showed the full spectrum of parental care you know, today he's talking about, you know, this tender, loving, nurturing side of him, but then you read some other letters, and man, he, he confronts some people on some sin, and, and he brings, you know, some discipline when it's needed, just like you would with your own children at times. Invitation and challenge. I want you to look at verses 11 and 12 here with me. He says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Encouraging, comforting, and urging. What can we learn from Paul's choice of those three particular words? I want you to look at those three words that he chose to write there, and I want you to evaluate what you think the meaning behind that is, or why he chose those three words. Yeah, Gary. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, they're, they're active words. Okay, something you're doing. Yeah. I want you to think about the nature behind those words. Okay, they fit on the full spectrum from invitation to challenge. Of those three, how many would you put in the invitation camp? 
Probably the first two, right? Encouraging, comforting probably seems more invitational. Urging, definitely a challenge. So for Paul, I think part of it is, um, you know, he knows that he's a natural challenger. And so he has to write in, in these things, I think, sometimes to kind of remind himself, hey, you know, two-thirds of this for me, because I'm a challenger, needs to be on the, on the invitational side, okay? <clears throat> what, what, what is it like with someone who's just always urging you without the encouragement and the comfort? Those of you that have been victims to people like me, <laughs> what does that feel like? Right here, Sam. Annoying? Okay. You're not talking about me personally, right? You're just making generalizations. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Why is it annoying? Great. Okay. Yeah. So what you start to feel like at some point is really they're just using you to, to meet their agenda. Okay, you, you start to feel like just kind of a pawn in their game. And I've been that person. I've used people. I know that about myself, okay? Any other thoughts, what that feels like? Or have we, yeah. Okay, yeah, you feel discouraged and uncomforted. Yeah. A lot of pressure, okay? Do what? unfulfilled, okay? Awesome. Good. Thank you. All right, you can identify those things. That's great. It gets old. <laughs> even, even for a person who likes to be challenged like me and likes to challenge other people, if I crave encouragement. And so if somebody is encouraging me, they can challenge me all day long, and I'll respond to that. But if somebody is just urging me and urging me and urging me and not caring for me, um, you know, that's just not going to last. And why do we encourage comfort and urge, Paul says, to live lives worthy of God? That's the heart behind his, his familial love and this trying to be a balance of invitation and challenges. The ultimate end is that we live lives worthy of this God who gave his life for us. And that's what I want as a pastor and a parent for you. And it doesn't always come across that way. And I hope sometimes you can see beneath the challenger in me to understand that more than anything, man, I want you to know how incredibly loved and valued you are by God. I want you to know the freedom and the grace that comes from his death and his resurrection, that you would live in the fullness of all that God created you to be. And I want you to believe, as we talked about in Romans, that you are more than conquerors, that you are supermen and women in Christ, that you can do all things through him who gives you strength. And as much as I want you to know those things, I also want you to know that this life that God has called us into is hard. Putting to death our flesh and our selfishness is painful at times. And I want to be honest with you about that and to know that, that even though it's hard sometimes, that it's worth it. There's a reward. We talked about in Romans too. We said that suffering produces something if you allow it to. That it produces perseverance and character and hope in you. And those are all things that I want 
for my own children as well. And many of you guys I've known longer than my own children. You're like children and family to me, brothers and sisters in this deal. And I hope that you know that I desire that for all of you. In chapter 1, verse 6, Paul said this. He says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And we've been talking a lot these last couple of weeks about Paul's constant invitation, right? He constantly said to people, imitate me. Come and and follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So what was Paul's example? Well, we see that he took people into his care as a father and a mother to them. They were his family. And his care for them was at an extremely deep level. And not that we can... Not that we can do that with everyone here this morning. We can't have that kind of relationship with 200 or 300 people. But there ought to be 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 people in this congregation who you are um, devoted to at that level. That their well-being in Christ and their growth and their spiritual health, that, that you are committed to, to that, that group of folks, those people that you would call family here, and in helping them grow and live a life worthy of God, encouraging, comforting, and urging them. And I have to be honest with you that this has been a real process for me. Um, I'm not naturally poor pastoral by nature, okay? And, and what I mean by that is that in Ephesians 4, Paul talks about um, five different giftings that he gives people. And he says, some of you I've given uh, the gift of apostleship, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. To some, I've I've called you to be evangelists. To some, I've gifted you to be teachers. To some, pastors. And to some, prophets. And, 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 And pastors of a church can be any of those five gifting sets, okay? And pastor, for me, I took a test that kind of tells you where your gifting is. Pastoring is number four out of five for me. Okay, uh, I'm primarily an apostle, and what an apostle is is a person who's a visionary, somebody that's a pioneer, somebody that likes to start new things, and so that's how I'm naturally wired. That's what energizes me. That's what I get the most joy out of in ministry, but it doesn't mean that I just get to not be pastoral and try to grow in that area of life, okay? I'm not off the hook for that, and initially, I think it was something that I kind of resisted a little bit. Um, and part of that, I think, kind of goes back to my childhood. I was an only child um, and realized over time as I became an adult that I really didn't know how to love people very deeply. You know, I never had to share a toy with anybody, right? And so that's been a struggle to learn that. But God has, has asked me to kind of dig into this role in recent years just to love and care for the people at Wellspring well and at times kind of resisting this innate desire that I have to kind of run off and start something new to, to make me feel good about myself. Um, because people are, are complicated and tough. <laughs> and it demands emotion from me that um, doesn't come naturally a lot of times. And so it, feel, it feels like work a lot for me um, because I want to move. I want to produce things, you know. I want to see something happen. And with people, you know, change is slow. It's a process, and, and, and it's a struggle sometimes. And I could say, like we talked about last week, well, I don't really have the capacity for that. 
I don't really have the capacity to love and nurture people. And in some ways, it's, it's a little bit true. I mean, there are people that are wired to be pastors, that that comes naturally to them, shepherding and caring for people, right? Okay? But again, it doesn't mean that if God's called me into this role, that he won't grow my capacity for it if I'll allow him to, if it's really my desire. And obviously, I look at guys like Paul, and I can see, man, this guy has traveled the road before me. I mean, here's a guy that was really intense, challenger, and now he's talking about himself as a nursing mother. I mean, things are swinging pretty big for him. He's, he's beginning to understand the fullness of trying to balance those things in his life. And so, this morning um, is not only a call to us to, to balance between invitation and challenge, because we need to do that. And I've been kind of speaking from the challenger side today, but we could also talk about, you know, what does it feel like um, to be, and this is going to be a weird comment, but what does it feel like to be showered with love by someone but never challenged? Because there's, there's an inverse problem with that. And that's that if you really love me, you won't allow me to continue to be the sinful person that I'm being that you would love me enough to get outside of your comfort zone of wanting to make me happy to confront the fact that I'm not operating the way I should. And that's destructive too, right? It's all you finger pointers out there, right? You're in the same boat with me. And we've got to learn how to balance that tension and not just you know allow everybody that everything's always good and I don't want to rock the boat and all those things. That shows a lack of love as well. And so I need your help in learning how to grow in this sense of invitation, um, but, but I also um, might be able to help you learn how to, to be challenging to yourself and others as well. And so this morning, it's also just an opportunity for confession on my part. Forgive me for my demanding nature at times, and sometimes when I go to that urging card too often and you don't feel encouraged or comforted by me, that's something I'm trying to grow in. But the idea, guys, is that, that we be in this together, that as, as a community, we're, we're striving to be that perfect balance of Christ. And I need your help to do that <clears throat> because if people only saw me, they would see an incomplete picture of Christ, me in, in, in my, my uh, natural nature, right? I need to grow, and I need your help to do that, and, and you need, need other help other people's help as well. That's why we need to be in community with each other. Because when we're just in it by ourselves, we can convince ourselves that the way we operate is, is pretty good, right? And we need other people sometimes to reveal to ourselves that, wow, we need to grow <laughs> in order to reflect Christ. So that when we say people imitate me, what they're imitating is Jesus more and more as our life goes on. And I'm going to resist the urge to end my sermon with a challenge for you this morning. And I'm just going to invite you uh, to come to the table for communion. Uh, one of the reasons why we always start communion with a full loaf of bread is it's an image of us being one body, that this represents all of us together, um, united as one body, drinking from one cup. And, man, I just want to ask you the question as you go today. Guys, who, who are you doing life with? Who's your family here? And take some risks to open yourself up. See, I go back to challenge again. Dang it. All right, let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, that you are perfectly balanced in everything, that you had this amazing ability to say some stuff that drove crowds away because it was hard, but it was true. And then you had this winsomeness about you that just people just flocked to you. I just think about uh, Easter morning when we talked about Peter, and even though that he had denied you and um, Man, when he saw you on the shore that morning, he jumped out of the boat and ran to you because he knew your nature was to forgive. He knew that there was this invitational, parental part of you, this nurturing side of you that was going to look past his transgressions and receive him. And God, if we're going to imitate you, if we're going to ask others to imitate us, we have got to grow in our ability to balance those two things in our life. So God, wherever we are on that spectrum today, I pray that through reading your word and studying you and your ministry, that that God, that you would begin to shift us all to the middle in a way that perfectly reflects your heart. God, that we would love people deeply and that we would love them enough to encourage, comfort, and urge them to live lives worthy of, of the God who loves us so much and gave so much for us. And God, as we come to the table this morning, God, I pray that you would just speak to us, that we would pour out our hearts to you. God, that you would just use this time of silence uh, just to allow us to converse with you today and to hear whatever you have for us this morning.